Welcome to the Real Life Fitness Stories podcast. I'm your host, Scott Roberts. Stick around for inspiring real-life stories of incredible resilience and achievement. Thank you for listening. Let's be inspired. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Real Life Fitness Stories podcast. We have an amazing guest for you once again. <laughs> She's laughing already. The incredible, <laughs> I'm going to call you Wonder Woman, actually. <laughs> uh, the amazing Joe Walker. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, of course. I'd better give everyone a bit of background, first of all. Number one, Joe is my sister-in-law. She's Jamie's <laughs> big sister. Two, she's a current client, which we're going to get to potentially at the end of this. Um so yes, um, do you want, just want to give a quick introduction to yourself, even though I've just kind of done it? Okay, um, I'm Joe. I um, I'm 44 years old. I have been working with Scott for a long time now, but um, really, it's kind of come more to fruition recently because I've really struggled lately. Um, because I was suffering cancer for the second time uh, last year and the steroids made me plump massively up four and a half stone I put on because of the steroids and uh, not moving about as much and so therefore um, I pleaded to Scott to help me to try and lose that amount of weight Um yeah, so, but this this has been an ongoing thing because it's been the second time that I've done it. Um, so, you know, 10 years ago, had cancer for the first time and then um, that the same thing happened and I lost a lot of weight after that. And then the second time it's happened again. So it's kind of been a bit, a bit of a strange 10 years, really. Um, but I'm getting there now and we're getting back to back to normal now. So that's all good. It's also for the exact amount of time that I've actually known you. That's true. Yeah, we we I remember me meeting you for the very first time in a wig because <laughs> I was going through chemo at the time, and I think I think you probably were quite startled seeing me for the first time because uh, I don't think Jane I don't think Janie actually explained that I was six foot two because of the fact that I was looking a bit strange and that she'd not she'd not managed to remember to tell you that I was that height and she'd normally say that to people that she, she knew that we meet so but yeah it was it was a bit strange but yeah let's go back to that first time so if I start talking I'm going to start jumping ahead of ourselves so yeah let's go back to the very first time basically when you you felt your first lump because right right if I get this wrong, it means I've not been listening to Janie properly. <laughs> was, you, was you here in Marbella? Yes, I was. Right. Talk about talk us through it then. Okay. So I was um I was on holiday. Um, just finished the school term. I'm a teacher, by the way. Um, just finished the school term, come straight out to Marbella as we do every uh, summer. And I was just get literally getting changed, um, putting putting my bikini on, ready to go out to the sun. And just basically under my right breast on my rib cage felt a really hard lump. And just immediately as I felt it, thought that doesn't feel right. It's really strange. Didn't know whether to say anything to anybody. Left it kind of 
about an hour and then I mentioned it to Andy, my husband, um, and said, what What do you think? He had a, a look at it, a feel of it and said, yeah, that, that's not right. I think we sh- should tell you, your parents and what have you, because obviously we stay with them. And then for the next two weeks, because I rang the doctor straight away from here, from from Marbella, um, and basically they said, well, you, as soon as you come back, we need to get you straight into the doctor to, to have it looked at. Um, and then once it was looked at, I had two weeks of waiting for my hospital appointment. And then literally straight after that, I was straight into the system. Um, they got me straight in for on that same day, they got me in for, um, an ultrasound, uh, a mammogram and then a biopsy all within about two hours. Um, as soon as they did the biopsy, they said to me, well, it's not disappeared when the needle's gone in. So therefore, it's a 50-50 chance that it's a cancerous tumour. And then I had to wait probably, I think it was about another week before they confirmed that it was um, it was a triple negative stage three cancer. And that was the only tumour at the time. So it was, you know, relatively early stages so we could whip it out and do the chemo and the radiotherapy and and make a full recovery so yeah right Right. hang on hang on right what go back to the what type what stage was it stage stage grade three it was right so what does that mean um it basically well if you get to stage four that's the dangerous really dangerous stage so basically they said because it because it was over three centimeters large it would be graded as a stage three because it it's one of those that's um at risk to spread to elsewhere in your body um but because we caught it relatively early they were confident that that it hadn't spread to any other organs and they said that um, they did see a couple of um, minor, tu- like some very small tumours in my lymph glands underneath my armpit, which, again, they had to biopsy and and try and whip out and stuff. But, yeah, it, the, the stage three is that it's treatable, um, but it's it's kind of at risk of, of being spreading around your body. So... Mm-hmm. Did you say there was a two-week period between finding it and flying back home? Yes. Right. So, right, that initial two-week period. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> um, I would say the worst part of it, really, because it's you're just going backwards and forwards in your head about what is it going to be. Um, and I remember having like having dinners with Janie and just you know her saying to me it's probably nothing it's probably nothing but I was just having felt it and going that just doesn't feel right in my head I was like this doesn't feel like something that's that's right at all yeah because I suppose and I've obviously noticed it and everyone else around you is obviously trying to be supportive and yeah all the time yeah yeah but you're the person obviously going through it yeah Sometimes it's just like, or sometimes you just don't want to hear it. 
Well, it's not about necessarily not wanting to hear it. It's just that you become very cynical about what people are saying really more than anything. Because you kind of, you understand that people, they want to think positively themselves because they care about you. And so they they're by them saying like positive stuff, it's not just necessarily trying to make, make me feel better. It's making themselves feel better as well. So um yeah, you know, you kind of understand it, but in the back of your mind, you kind of have that rolling eyes moment sometimes where you're just thinking, yeah, all right, I won't know anything until the doctors say anything. So you went back home. I'd be right in saying you've been quite lucky in who you've had looking after you. Yeah, absolutely like, brilliant. Because it's, it's more or less, although there's been a 10-year, kind of a 10-year gap, the team was quite similar, wasn't it? It was the same team. I had exactly the same team. Um, I was really, really lucky in that um, I went back to St. Helens Hospital for the second time. And uh, my my surgeon, my breast surgeon, who was my first person, she she was actually on holiday. But then the person who saw me and confirmed for the second time that it was cancer basically said to me, you know, she's on holiday, but you can have her as your consultant if you want to, because she knows your medical history. So it was it was brilliant because, you know, the team were absolutely amazing. And I was so happy with the fact that I was still working with her and and the fact that I still had the same uh, Macmillan nurse, the same plastic surgeon, you know, it was it was absolutely brilliant and same oncologist as well. So yeah, that they they've been absolutely amazing. So that first time around the chemotherapy itself how often was it at that time and over what period back then it was every three weeks um things have obviously changed like over the time but yeah it was every three weeks and I had it for six months once every three weeks so it was I mean when when can you say that it was quite good to have chemotherapy you can't really but talk us through the whole process like what actually happens when when you get to the hospital having your chemotherapy and like on a like a a a one visit basis what does that visit actually look like okay so the day before you go you have to go for your blood tests and they have to check your white count and what that means is that they have to make sure that you're not you've you've not got anything in your body like flu or you're susceptible to cold or anything like that because if you are going to come down with anything having chemotherapy is obviously going to make things 10,000 times worse so um the very first time i went for my chemotherapy i couldn't actually have it because when they took the blood tests they said you've got a temperature and it looks like you're going to be going into a flu-like symptoms in the next couple of days. So we can't give you the chemo. And I was absolutely devastated. It sounds bizarre, but I was absolutely in bits because I just wanted to get it started and I wanted the, the cancer out of my body. Um, so, but then I had to wait the week till the week after since I'd recovered. And then they said, yeah, we can give it to you. So you have to go for your blood tests. Then on the day that you turn up, you have to obviously have your cannula put in. This was back then. Mm. Slightly different the second time round. I'll have to tell you about that in a minute. But uh, you have to put have the cannula put in and then you have to sit for like four hours while they pump the, the stuff into you. Uh, back then, I had three different types of chemo. Um, so I had three months worth of one type of chemo. 
and then after that I had two two different types on on different days um that I was coming in and yeah it was I still had one two of those same ones in the second um second time round as well so and then basically as soon as you finished you're sitting in a nice comfy chair you get you get some soup and sandwiches and things and what have you when you're having it um back then you could have visitors so you could have people come in and sit with you and keep you company post covid that's that's just yeah. a no go now um and so yeah back then i was having lots of people come in at different times and sit with me and keep me company but cuz 4 hours sitting and doing nothing is pretty annoying mm. um and then it was it was just a matter of going home and resting and then probably for about 3 maybe 4 days after that pretty wiped out um you're given a bunch of like steroids to take and other medications that you have to take for the days after your chemo. They insist that you do take your steroids because it's anti-sickness as well. Um, and you have to also give yourself an injection in your tummy um, straight afterwards as well to, to boost your white count so that you're not going to become like, your, it boosts your immune system basically because your, your chemo obviously wipes out your immune system altogether. Um, and then, yeah, you just have to rest really um, as much as you can. Some people find that they can carry on as normal, but I was absolutely out for the count for a few days. And then after that, I'd pick up and I'd be absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, from, from memory, obviously, when you come out and you're on the steroids, you're probably feeling a bit more lively. Well, that was that was much more like the like the case in the second time round because um, they gave me double the amount of steroids because I was having double the amount of chemotherapy the second time round. And I was the second time round for two days afterwards, I'd be completely wired. Yeah. As you know, Scott, that yeah. Christmas well, yeah, that that came round, it was yeah. like I was I was cooking the Christmas dinner at four in the morning because I was just I couldn't couldn't sleep. So yeah. And then a couple of days later, you were fucked and you could hardly move. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So when when you're going through all this chemo, yeah, what what's going through your head? Um, lots of different things, really. There's, I mean, there's a lot of frustration, obviously. The first time round, I was much more like, right, let's just get it done, get it done, get it done. And I was sort of just checklisting it off and ticking off every session that I, I had. Second time round, I'm a little bit older and wiser. And I was just a bit more in reflection of kind of, you know, I did have my why me moments because it was the second time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just have to get on with it because there's certain moments that you kind of almost are scared of it stopping because you think, is it going to come back? Because as soon as you know that the chemotherapy is working, you think, nice one, this is, this is actually beating it. It's getting rid of it. Um, and then you think, oh, I'm coming to the end of the chemo. Oh, God, does that mean it's all going to come back again? Um, so there's lots of different emotions going around in your head. Um, but, yeah, the second time around was a hell of a lot worse because I think I think that with the diagnosis being worse, 
I was just at the very, very beginning of the diagnosis was completely convinced that I was going to die. Um, and that's, I know that sounds like I'm being really flippant about it, but it, it was something that I really did have to have a conversation with myself about because it, it was, you know, I was just, I, I just thought that's it. It's come back and it's a terrible diagnosis. So I'm I'm never going to come back from this. It's the reason we all came back for Christmas, really, isn't it? Oh, I know. I know. But just just one more thing before we kind of get to the second time around. So how old is it? So Joe's got a son, Jack. How old is he now? He's 14 now. Right. So first time around, he was roughly four years old. Four, yeah. What kind of conversations, if any, first time around, was you having with him then? Um, I mean it's very difficult to to tell a four-year-old what's going on and you know why mummy's bald and you know all of that sort of thing but we just tried to be as open and honest with him you know mummy's sick mummy's not well and she's getting better and you know she's having to do this take this medicine that makes her you know feel a bit rubbish and she'll lose all her hair and stuff but it means that she's getting better and that was sort of the way that we handled it and you know Andy was great in terms of making it sort of you know you need you need to leave mummy alone now because she needs to rest and stuff like that um obviously now he understands a little bit more and you know he gets it and it's probably harder for him now than it was back then really yeah yeah well he's got access to google on his phone exactly which is probably the worst thing ever but just in that, when you were fully recovered as such, the chemo had finished, you'd been given the all clear, how did your outlook on life change, if at all? Um, so I think when I had it the first time, I got on with things and I kind of just carried on. I'd, I obviously had a change in terms of, you know, what's important and perspective and family and all of those sorts of things but I think this second time it's given me a little bit more of a you know I I was always a workaholic I was always finding work was really important etc and yeah it's still important I'm really sorry Scott but somebody is really trying to get hold of me here and I think it might be the hospital can I just pause for a second seconds I'll pause it Hello, we're back again. Um, I'd Sorry. Love to, I'd love to say I could edit that out, but I have no idea how. So <laughs> uh, we're talking about your outlook on life. Um, carry on seamlessly. Yeah. So, I mean, I I, I was always a, a bit of a workaholic and, and stuff. And, and I think but I think now it's made me sort of realise that, you know, you can't let work or bosses that are demanding. Um, rule your life and it's very difficult to do that and to put that into perspective but I think when you have been through something like this it makes you not really care about what people think about you Mm -hmm. and there's too many people out there doing over and above in their jobs because their bosses are being assholes to them and demanding that they have these extra pieces of work to do or extra time that they need to be in um because they feel oppressed or they feel that they they have to do it because otherwise they're never going to get a promotion or they'll get sacked or whatever um 
but actually you know you just you just need to be honest with people and say well I can't do it I, I don't have the capacity to and or I you know I'm not going to be able to have time to um and if they still have a problem then you know move on do something else so let, let's get to the second time around um it, it doesn't seem too long ago but yeah actually I think it was what year was it two years ago now no, it was, well, I was diagnosed in the November of 2021. Yeah. And then I went through the the um, treatment right the way through to August of last year. So it, I didn't I didn't finish my treatment until, when was it, the 15th of August, 2022. So if I remember rightly, was it June of 21, June or July, that you'd been kind of given... Was it a big all clear? I don't know why. It's it like. was June June the eighth, twenty twenty two, that they told me that the um the cancer's gone, that it had that it had been completely. I had it. What the what the 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 phrase is is that I had a complete pathological response, which basically meant that the chemo worked and it, it dissolved all of the tumors. So because the second time round I had eight tumors. So when you found the second one. Was there something that happened a few months before? Like, did the hospital say, or was it just a, a normal checkup where they said it's all it's all fine? And at, at the moment, I had um, it was very very strange because I had a, a mammogram in the June of 2021, right, which was completely mean. all clear. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, and then by the November, I had eight tumors, and the the big tumor was uh, eight centimeters in diameter. And then I had seven others, which were all in my uh, lymph glands or going all the way up my neck. So um, it, to say that the difference of that that many months, saying from all clear to, to having that amount of tumours and cancer in you is, is just, I've never heard of anything like yeah. that developing so quickly. And that's what scared the life out of everyone, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And again, I could be getting some of this wrong. We we obviously came over a weekend to come and see you, Friday to Monday or something like that. Yeah. And when we left on the Monday, you were having a checkup, and I think you you rung Janie, and we were just getting on the plane, and you were like, "It's serious, but they they think it's gonna like the chemo is gonna be rapid and intense, but yeah, they're confident or whatever." Yeah. And then so that was on the Monday. And then on the Friday of that week, you then phoned Janie again and they were like, it's, it's even worse than we thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, first of all, they, they basically said you have a, they ha you have an eight centimeter tumor in your breast and you've got these other ones. And then um, they basically said um, on that Friday, when the Friday you're talking about, I saw the oncologist and he said, you know, it's it's more than likely that you have other tumors around the rest of your body, but we can't see them on any ultrasound because they will be smaller than half a centimeter and we can't see them. Um, so I went for a CT scan. They they were fine with everything, but basically that you know they said we can't see anything smaller than that. But it's more than likely that. So basically, they wanted to just absolutely hammer me with this very very intensive uh chemotherapy regimen and then um 
And yeah, it was weekly. So by this point, I was uh, my veins are absolutely crap. So I was getting panicky about the fact that I was getting cannula every week and stuff. And they said, no, we can put what's called a pick line in which is a, a line that they put in your, your arm, which goes right the way up in, and into, you know, basically into your heart. Um, and that was in permanently throughout my chemotherapy. And that was an absolute godsend because basically they just, they just hook you up every week and that then you just have your chemo. So, you know, that things had happened over the, the 10 year period that have been advanced and thank God for cancer research over that time that things had changed because I think had I got this second diagnosis the first time round, things could have been very different because it would have been a very a very different picture we were looking at so so this second round of chemotherapy more intense yeah more regularly it was weekly wasn't it weekly yeah and over six long, months and over a longer period of time so six months well it was over six months but obviously I was having it more frequently um and then but every third week I had double dose so I had I remember I had the double dose when you came over at Christmas right. and that's why they gave me the double dose of the steroids and I was like a maniac over the Christmas period because I was just like cleaning and cooking and being mental and then I completely crashed after that so in regards to the chemo were I was going to call say the come downs it's probably not the right phrase but yeah but yeah after after each session were the lows much lower than first time around yeah much worse and what also happened to me the second time round is that because it was weekly and they were ha like literally hammering my body, um, I didn't have as much time to recover yeah. as I did the first time round because obviously, you know, you've got that time in between to build yourself back up. Whereas this time it was kind of like I'd get to Tuesday and feel relatively OK. And then bang, it was Wednesday again and I was having the chemo. So every Wednesday I had the chemo. Um, but also, uh, because, because they were hammering me with all of this chemo, what was happening is it was battering my red blood cells, which meant that I couldn't breathe. So my oxygen levels weren't good. Um, and I don't know if you'll remember Scott, but I was, I was walking with a walking stick at one point because yeah. I just couldn't breathe. I couldn't get to the end of the driveway without being out of breath. So what started to happen is that I had to then have weekly blood transfusions. So I was going for my chemo on the Wednesday and then a blood transfusion on the Thursday. Um, so I think I had six blood transfusions over the course of the, the chemotherapy because I had to have those six once, like once a week straight after the chemo, which it, it helped me because it helped me actually be able to climb the stairs and stuff. But as soon as I had the chemo again, the, the blood cells went down again and then you know it was it was just it was very harsh this last time very harsh you spoke about like when you found out second time around and obviously having doubts and thinking is this it yeah at which point did you start thinking I'm, I'm gonna get through this it was I'll never forget it it was six weeks into the the treatment um I'd had six rounds of chemotherapy six weeks of treatment and then I had a checkup with the oncologist and we did an ultrasound scan 
uh, and a blood test and they gave me the the results of that ultrasound scan and they'd said that the 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 big tumor the eight centimeter tumor had now shrunk to two centimeters um and that the ones that were going up my neck had massively reduced so straight away that was my kind of moment of thinking okay it's actually working all of this is worth it i'm now gonna i'm gonna i know i'm gonna get through this because I'd only had six rounds of it and I still had something like 20 odd to go. And I just thought, yeah, it's going to get rid of it because I've had such a good response to it so far. And that really turned me around for the first six weeks. I I was totally unconvinced. I don't know why, but I just was completely unconvinced that it would work. Um, But then that that result made me go, yeah, this is this is it now. It's uh, let's let's keep going. So it gave me that boost to just to just keep going, really. Oh, and at, at the end of it all, you had a big operation. Do you just want to talk quickly about the operation? Yeah, I mean, so I had the the chemo, and then I had um, a mastectomy and reconstruction at the same time. So the first time round, I literally just had a lumpectomy. They took the lump out. Um, and that was it because they, they didn't feel because of the size of the tumor, they didn't feel that they needed to take any more breast tissue away. And also I was only 33 at the time, so they didn't want to do, you know, too much. Um, so, but this time they were, they were like, no, we've got to do the mastectomy. So let's just, let's do it. And I didn't have the double because, and I wanted the double, um, but they said, no, it's not necessary because as I was, this is where it gets really, really weird. I was tested for um, the BRCA genes. Um, I was tested for them the first time, and then they've tested me again for them the second time, and again, I've come up negative. So I am a very, very weird anomaly um, as a person because because they just can't really fathom how it's happened and how it's happened 10 years later and for a second time because – the kind of cancer that I've had, I'm going off, off of this a little bit now, but the kind of cancer I had, which is a triple negative, basically means that it's not genetic, it's not hormonal. Um, and so chemotherapy is the only thing that can actually kill it. You can't do it with, you know, other stuff like, you know, tablet medication and things that other some other cancers can. Um, and usually if you're going to get it again, you get it within five years. So it was strange that I got it 10 years later, strange that I hadn't been tested positive for the BRCA genes. If I had been tested positive for the BRCA genes, they would have done the the double mastectomy, but they said, no, we don't want to give you the the double because you you haven't got the BRCA genes. Um, And so, yeah, this time then, and they did the reconstruction at the time. So basically what they did with the, and, and Dr. Koshi is just absolutely amazing at St. Helens hospital. And I would, highly recommend anybody going to him if you need any kind of breast reconstruction because he basically took um fat from my stomach uh at the same time so I had six surgeons in the room at the same time I had the the mastectomy team and then I had the plastic surgery team right and uh Dr Chagler my surgeon my breast surgeon 
was taking the breast tissue away while he was doing stuff to my stomach and kind of reconstructing my belly button and all of that kind of thing. They took all the fat out and then they basically put it straight into the breast where the breast um, skin was. And so, um, and yeah, it, so that was quite major um, How, and very painful. But that, that was what, about a 10, 12 hour? It was nine hours they, they did because the, the other reason why it took a long time is because uh, Dr. Chagler said, because I'd had radiotherapy previously in, in the past 10 years ago, it was really difficult to get the breast tissue away because it had hardened. Right. So, um, yeah, it took them a long time to to get get it out. And then, you know, obviously they've they've done the re I've still got another another surgery to go, um, but I'm on the waiting list for that. But that's that's purely cosmetic. Um, so the 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 treatment, the surgery has basically put you in early menopause, hasn't it? Yeah. It's kind of what we're trying to deal with at the moment. Yeah. We've Obviously, recovering from the chemotherapy, that doesn't happen straight away. Yeah. And early menopause on top of that. Just talk us through kind of the impact of recovering. Well, first of all, the impact of recovering from chemotherapy. Okay. So the lack of, of breathing was a big, big thing for me. Um, that took a long time to, to rectify uh, because obviously even with blood transfusions you still have to build yourself up after it all and what have you so that was that was a big thing I'd also put on like four and a half stone which you know never helps because you know you can't do as much when you've you've got more weight on you etc and my my health as in in terms of my fitness was just on the floor I think it was the worst I've ever been you know what like I was saying walking up the road um out of breath within 10 minutes of walking it was just ridiculous but I did make myself go out and do these things um and try and build myself up, up gradually and do you know daily walks and what have you um to try and build myself up and um and yeah but then obviously they've told me now that I'm in I'm in the menopause now um and that then has added difficulties because then you've got your joint pain um, and, you know, very difficult to shift weight when, you, when you're in the menopause, as everybody knows, um, and the hot sweats and the all the other kind of symptoms that you get. The hot sweats have been hitting you quite hard, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, it's been... And the, the, the other tr trouble is, is because of the... Because of the cancer, because of the fact that they don't want to give me any hormones, I can't go on any, any HRT. So I've got to basically just go cold turkey and deal with it. Yeah. So for, let's talk. Let's talk about the weight loss side of things and everything. Yeah. This podcast to really be about, but obviously that's made things a million times harder. But yeah, purely from what we're trying to achieve together what what yeah. have you found the hardest thing <laughs> the hard i've found the hardest thing the fact that once a month generally i'll have a game um and it's usually when i'm like i'm still doing you know i'm still doing the right things i'm still 
making sure that I'm keeping within my calorie deficit and what have you. And then I'll step on the scales and I'll have a gain and I'll be like, how's that happened? And I can't fathom it. And I know you you're smiling now because I know exactly what you're thinking because you've sent me messages going, right, the scales won't tell you everything, et cetera, et cetera. Now it's once a month, but then I can't tell whether it is actually hormones. At the beginning, I did couldn't tell whether it was actually hormones because I don't have periods anymore. So what what I'm looking at is going, well, why has that happened? But then the following week, usually I have a bigger loss. Um So in those weeks where I have a gain, that's where I found it difficult because I can't get my head around why it's happened. But then you've come back to me and gone, well, measure yourself then. And then I've gone, oh, actually, yeah, I've lost another inch. So it's actually all right. So it's getting me head around that really more than anything. That's where I've been, found it difficult. I'm going to step in here. Go on then. Well, no, basically, Joe is just obviously an extreme version of, most other women menopause or not so obviously still caught up with the scales which is fine i think i've probably offered to not weigh and just use yeah and i've done that some weeks yeah but obviously you've not been able to do the exercise you want and other people are in a similar well not a similar boat but kind of you know if if a mum can't do the exercise because they're short on time yes busy with work so a lot of my advice to joe has just been just do what you can yeah and if you can't do anything that's not a problem because it there's been times where you've literally just done five or ten minutes on your bike haven't you yeah 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 and then obviously with that is just control your calorie intake yeah and there's been times where it's been accurate and times where it hasn't been accurate but again, yeah that's part of it but even with the lack of movement and exercise, when your calories have been in check, that when they have been accurate, you've seen the progress. Yeah, definitely. Now, obviously, I could talk for another hour about the scales and everything, but and, and the importance of doing the photos and measurements. Yeah. But I suppose you're in the same boat as everyone else that, you all everyone wants to see this big loss yeah when you're not seeing this big loss you you get this heart and more often than not people just give up yeah well do you know what though scott i've you know over the course of the time since since last august since i stopped my treatment and i've been working with you for a while now i've lost two and a half stone so i've got two more stone to go but I'm not as big as I was, so I keep, you know, my my fitness is getting better and better. Um, I can move a little bit more now and stuff. So, and like you say, I've I've been trying to get on my bike as much as I possibly can, but some some weeks I just can't because I'm just wiped out. Yeah. And I've learned to not beat myself up about that. That's what I was just about to say at the start. And again, other people feel exactly the same. You start to feel guilty and beat yourself up. Yeah, definitely. And over time, and someone pecking away at your head all the time, you start to realise, one, if you do push yourself, it's just going to have a negative impact anyway. Yeah. And two, 
because you've had the experience of seeing the results without pushing yourself, you can then actually relax and have confidence in what you're doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And just to go off on a tangent, there's another client for the past one, maybe two weeks, she's not been able to do anything. Uh, her gym told her not to turn up because she had an injury and they didn't want to make it worse. She couldn't walk because of the injury. I was just like, look, sort right. of just keep your calories in check. And she was yeah. messaging me, obviously frustrated and upset and feeling like she's failing and feeling like she's letting me down. She messaged me yesterday or the day before she'd lost weight. Yeah. So although I don't want this to be a, a weight loss podcast, yeah. there's, there's your weight loss advice. Yeah. Do not panic. Be a bit kinder to yourself. Control your calories. And if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. Analog. That's the one thing I will say. I mean, I've seen better results when I've been logging everything and you can see everything that I've been eating than when I haven't. Yeah, well, there's two reasons. One, it, that's just added accountability. Of yeah. Food. And two, it's just more accurate. Yeah. Uh, you know, more often than not, if someone's using my fitness pal and they've not logged stuff, it's because they don't want to see the truth of what they're actually doing. Because they, yeah. they know if they log it, it'd be about 5,000 calories and they'll feel guilty. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, I won't put that in. It didn't really happen. But it's not quite how the body works, is it? Yeah, yeah. Right. If someone is unfortunately in the same boat as you are, what advice would you give? Um, wow, okay. I mean, I should have met a few people. Say again. I should have pre-warned you about that question, shouldn't I? No, 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 not at all. I mean, I've I've obviously met quite a few people in terms of you know the diagnosis that I've had. They they they've been in similar boats because obviously when you're in a chemo suite with three other people, then you get talking to them because you're so bored, or whatever. Um. So yeah, I mean. The one thing I would say is, is just, just keep, keep your cool and only deal with the stuff that's coming to you as it's coming to you rather than second guessing what might happen. Because if you start people, people will probably say a lot to you about, well, it could be this, or it could be that, or it could be, you know, and you, and you, you can't think like that the only people that you need to listen to are the doctors they're going to tell you the facts they're the ones that are going to tell you what's actually happening people generally tend to turn into doctors as your friends you know when you have these types of things but actually you don't listen to them try and keep a normal headspace and deal with the day-to-day carry on with your life until you get the actual facts from somebody who is an expert. I think that's the best thing that I can say. You've just got to put your trust in the people looking after you, haven't they? Absolutely, yeah. And these people know what they're doing and the research that has happened for, for these diagnoses has is, is been absolutely amazing. And, you know, it, it continues to get better. So, you know, trust them. How is, we're going to wrap up soon, but how is your outlook on life now compared to first time around? 
uh, I think I'm just more relaxed about everything. I think it just makes you put everything. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it does make you put things into perspective. It does make you, but in a, in a more acute manner in everyday life, rather than putting things into perspective after you've had a stress about something. I had a conversation with a, 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 a colleague the other day who was getting all stressed about, you know, Ofsted and stuff like that. And I just, I just said to her, why are you getting stressed about that? They're only people. They come in and they'll tell you you're not doing a good job or you're not doing this right or you're not doing that right. So you, you sit there and you go, oh, okay, I'll take your advice. And then you just put two fingers up to them as they leave. Um, I mean, you know, it's that, it's just it's just making sure that you're not getting yourself too stressed out about the little things that don't really matter in life. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Do you want to give the new company a plug? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a teacher, but I've um I've set up my my new company, my my own company, which is an aesthetics company called Joe Glow Aesthetics. Thank you for this, Scott. Didn't think that I was be doing this. Um, Joe Glow Aesthetics, and I'm on Instagram. It's um Joe Glow underscore at aesthetic oh at joe glow underscore aesthetics um and so please follow me on instagram and i'll be happy to give you a consultation on anything to do with you know fillers botox skin boosters fat dissolving all that kind of stuff so yeah um oh yeah if you are northwest based so joe's in liverpool i'm so in liverpool yeah anywhere near liverpool give her a follow drop her a message and um yeah when she's in marbella which is quite a bit yeah actually my forehead <laughs> look, needs look, a top up that, that, well my whole face needs a top up look at <laughs> but yeah go give yeah, joe a follow I'll sort you out go give her a follow drop her a message and um she can afford more flights to spain to see us all yeah absolutely cool. all Thank right you very much for coming on cheers scott Bye.